whenever I'm out in public. Even if I'm at a restaurant, people, the waiters and waitresses, they'll often look at whoever's dining with me and be like, what would he like to order? They just assume that I'm unable to speak for myself or unable to travel the world or all of these amazing things. And then when they kind of find out that, you know, I've been to all seven continents, I run a blog, they're really shocked by it, I think, for a lot of wheelchair users. There's just, for some reason, this preconceived notion that we're just kind of, you know, sitting at home, then I think it's actually the complete opposite for most people with disabilities. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards, and you're listening to Let's Go Together. Today, we're joined by Corey Lee, who travels worldwide in his wheelchair, sharing his adventures on his blog, Curb Free with Corey Lee. We're also joined by Hannah Gavios, partially paralyzed after experiencing a frightening assault abroad. Hannah has not let that stop her from continuing to explore the world, as well as take on additional physical challenges like the New York City Marathon. Corey and Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kelly. I really appreciate it. And I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's an honor to be here on your show. Thank you. Thank you. So I I have to say, I have never highlighted so many things on a guest brief before. There's just so much I want to cover with you all. I almost don't know where to start, but can you each tell us a little bit more about your disability and how you're able to navigate in your day-to-day lives? Can you each give us your story, a little bit of background on what led you to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was actually diagnosed at the age of two with spinal muscular atrophy. It's a form of muscular dystrophy. And basically, it just means that my muscles are very weak and it is degenerative. So I won't have the same abilities like 10 years from now that I do today. So that's a big reason why I try to do as much as I can now in the moment while I'm you know, more able than I will be. 10 years from now. And that's why I started traveling the world at a young age. My mom was a school teacher and we would take the summers to kind of explore domestically in the U.S. when I was younger. And then when I turned 15, we started taking things internationally. And then I just kept going and was bitten by the travel bug and uh, I haven't really stopped since then. (laughs) That's pretty incredible. I noticed that you have been all over, and we will get to that shortly. Hannah, your story is something that it's it's very intense, it's sensitive, it's life-changing. Can you share with our listeners what happened to you? Sure, absolutely. So after I graduated from college, when I was 23 years old, I decided to go to Southeast Asia to become an English teacher. So I did some traveling first in Thailand to become certified. I spent two weeks in Cambodia after over a month living in Chiang Mai, which is the northern part of Thailand. And then I decided to start working as a teacher in Vietnam, where I spent at least a month. And then I started becoming a little homesick for Thailand when I was there. So I went back and unexpectedly that night, I had some dinner and I got lost coming back to my hotel and 
this uh, guide offered to help me back. And in order to go back, I had to cross the tide. I didn't want to cross the tide because it was, you know, it was too high. So he like led me into this trail. And when I started getting nervous for my life and this crazy person attempted to rape me. So that's when I ran for my life. I was on the top of a mountain. I fell 150 feet off of a cliff and landed on my back. And I immediately like couldn't feel the lower half of my body. So it was the scariest nightmare that one could ever experience. When you think that things can't get any worse, they actually can. So my attacker actually came down the mountain and sexually assaulted me all hours of the night as I was laying there paralyzed, unable to move anything. So I had no idea what was wrong with me. I didn't know what I had. All I knew was that I just couldn't feel my feet. I needed to get out of this. I needed to be rescued. And the only one that was there was this like horrible monster. And um, I was you know, put in a position where I couldn't really do anything but remain calm. And the more that like I tried to fight the situation, the more I escalated my attacker and the scarier person he became. So I tried to like just, you know, let things be as they were and wait it out. And then when it got lighter outside, he actually left and came back with two people that rescued me. And he's actually in jail for five years. And I had emergency spinal surgery that night and it wasn't a complete injury. So if you completely sever your spine, that means that you're completely paralyzed from below the waist. So because it was uh, an incomplete injury, I was still able to move some parts below the waist. I was still able to like lift up my legs. I actually wasn't able to lift anything before my surgery. It wasn't until after the surgery that I was actually able to do a couple of leg lifts which was really amazing. And it gave me a, a huge sense of hope. And I just took it day by day. I, it was a lot to process all at once. Being told that I may never feel my feet again was shocking. And in the beginning, I didn't really understand like how serious my injury actually was So until I started learning more about it. So when doctors told me that most of my recovery would happen in six months and then not much recovery would happen after two years. I thought like, nah, like I'm going to beat this in three, four months. I'm going to be walking and running again. But, you know, at that point, like I didn't even know that I wasn't able to pee all on my own. So <laughs> it was, it was a lot, but I made it to where I am today. I ran two marathons on crutches and I also walk with a cane short distances. And I sometimes wear leg braces that go up below the knees so that they give my ankles that lift so that they're not dragging. <sighs> Hannah, your strength is unparalleled through something so horrific and horrendous. I can still hear the positivity in your voice. And I find that incredibly inspiring to say the least. To suffer sexual assault is already so mentally and physically taxing on a person, on a woman. 
that leaves you literally scarred forever, right? But for it to also physically impact your life, previously being fully able-bodied to now, I just, I just could not even imagine. And I love that you, in spite of, live your life in the way that you want to, in the way you control it. So sorry, I just had to go there. Yeah, it's it's a very emotional story. And I usually get very shocking reactions whenever I tell it. But I appreciate that. And it's a lot to handle at once. And so it's almost like the physical components of this incident has been so overwhelming that my mind hasn't even really been able to focus so much on the sexual assault. Because when you think about it, like it only happened once, but then the physical injury and the disability, which is the outcome, is life-changing. And that's something that I have to deal with every single day. And there are so many problems that I come across just doing simple things like laundry or doing grocery shopping that it's hard to you know think about the other problems or the other traumas that I've encountered. The mind can only handle so much at a time. Right, right. What Hannah experienced required so much strength to overcome, both physically and mentally. But her recovery wouldn't be the only challenge she would face. When we come back, I talk to Hannah and Corey about combating misconceptions about physical disabilities. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back. In addition to overcoming physical obstacles, people with disabilities often have to battle unfair misconceptions about what they can and can't do. I asked Corey and Hannah about what it's like to be underestimated by people with abilities. What is the biggest misconception about having a physical disability? And Corey, I'd love for you to start with that. Yeah, I mean, I frequently find, I mean, whenever I'm out in public, even if I'm at a restaurant, people, the waiters and waitresses, they'll often look at whoever's dining with me and be like, well, what would he like to order or something like that? And they just assume that I'm unable to speak for myself or unable to travel the world or all of these amazing things. And then when they kind of find out that, you know, I've been to all seven continents, I run a blog and they're really shocked by it, I think. And that's, I think, the case for a lot of wheelchair users is that there's just for some reason this preconceived notion that we're just kind of, you know, sitting at home, laying in the bed, not really doing anything with our lives. And I think it's actually the complete opposite for most people with disabilities. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you say all seven continents, that means you've been to Antarctica and you have definitely one up to me. Holy shit. Ah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Hannah, what would you say is the biggest misconception about having a physical disability? Right. So there's so many examples that I can give, but when people look at me, a lot of the times they just see like my crutches or they see my cane and they, they don't see me. Uh, they just see what I'm, I'm using to get around. And so a lot of people don't actually see with the crutches, people don't see the disability. Like people think that like I just got injured or something and that they're temporary. <laughs> so a lot of people will come up to me and be like, oh, um, like what happened to you? Like I was in crutches for two weeks. Like I totally get it. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> You're like, no, you really, really don't get it at all. <laughs> Um, but then there's, there's another example I can give where I was in Greece last summer and there was this like beautiful site where I had to crutch 600 steps. Holy smokes. It was the most amazing workout ever. <laughs> For sure. Upper body strength, I think. I was making able-bodied people look tired. <laughs> but anyway, like it was, it was such a fantastic workout. I got the adrenaline rush from it. I felt very accomplished afterwards. And I remember later that night, my family and I, we went to this restaurant where you had to walk down like about five stairs to get to the restaurant. And the people, the workers were like, no, 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 no. Like she can't go. Like there's all these stairs, you know, this is not possible for her. And my parents had to like literally explain to them, like my daughter just crutched like 600 stairs. Like my parents had to like interrupt them many times and explain like, no, 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 like this is nothing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's like something like people don't register right away. Like they don't, you know, put the two and two together that like, yes, I'm in crutches and yes, this is still possible. And yes, there's still a way that I can do it. People just immediately assume like, no, like she's injured, she's hurt, she's unable. And so you just got to show them. Some people just, they're not aware. And it, it just comes from a place of ignorance. And it's okay because I was definitely one of those people before this happened to me. Absolutely. I love that you said that because from what I know about the both of you and what I'm hearing right now, you literally just have to show people. You have to show up, you have to get it done, and you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for the for the person who is watching. You're doing it because it's something that you want to get done. And so I love that you said that. I really, really do. When did you realize you had a passion for travel? I realized that from a young age, I think, just from going on domestic trips here in the U.S. And then when I was 15, I went to the Bahamas. And that was kind of the first time where I got to experience like a different culture and try new foods and just doing all of that. It made me kind of think, you know, if the Bahamas can be only a couple hours flight away and this amazing, then what would somewhere like Australia be like or what would India be like or all of these other faraway places around the world. And so from that, it really got my brain to thinking, you know, maybe I should try traveling more and more. And so after that, I then went to Europe and explored Germany and had a lot of mishaps along the way, especially with uh, accessibility in Europe. So that's definitely a challenge and in Asia and Africa as well. But there have been a lot of really great moments also. And I think overall, you know, this whole thing, I mean, since going to the Bahamas, it's just shown me that often the most accessible 
places and the places that have, you know, the friendliest people that are willing to help me out are the sometimes the places that I would least mm. expect. Um, and Helsinki, Finland was actually one of those. Before I went there, I kind of thought, you know, Northern Europe, like Scandinavia, it's probably not going to be the most accessible. And then I got to Helsinki and they had over 300 wheelchair accessible taxis, which just like totally shocked me and threw me for a loop. And since then, I've been to like India, Morocco, Israel and Palestine and all these places that I just never imagined would be accessible at all. And then they're actually some of the best. Is there any place that either of you wanted to go that you logistically felt held back from visiting? I definitely have dealt with that in a few places. And one of the biggest that was kind of somewhere that I wanted to go my entire life almost was uh, India. But I researched it about 10 years ago and there was zero accessible transportation. I mean, there was not one wheelchair accessible taxi in the entire country 10 years ago. And I use a pretty heavy powered wheelchair. It weighs like 350 pounds and then plus me. So, I mean, I need definitely like a wheelchair accessible van with a lift on it or a ramp. And there was just nothing in India like that. And so I kind of put it on the back burner. And then finally, about two years ago, a company opened in India and they now offer wheelchair accessible tours. You know, what I'm really discovering, I started my blog about seven years ago. And and just even in the past seven years since starting it, I've noticed that accessibility is becoming more and more prevalent around the world. There are constantly new tour companies opening up and new countries. And so, you know, while somewhere may not be accessible now, within a couple of years, you never know. Absolutely. I love that you've really broken down the fact that, okay, this wheelchair is extremely heavy, right? And then put me in it. I need to go to places that can handle that. And you have found so many because you've been to seven continents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to put that in perspective, because a lot of times when people think of a wheelchair, they think of the one that that people get pushed through in the airport, you know, the small oh, yeah. fold yeah. up <laughs> one. It's like, no, when you have the disability that you have, you need a powered wheelchair. And in your situation, it is truly a heavy duty one. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you make it work in spite of like, it's one thing to get on a plane and go a couple of hours, right? Because I've seen the wheelchair process when you're checking it in and all of those things. But when you're going across the world, that's a whole different shebang. (sighs) Oh, yeah. I mean, it's tough. I think if I could change anything about the travel process, that would be flying as a wheelchair user. Mm -hmm. It is just so difficult, whether you use a manual chair or a power chair. I mean, it's incredibly difficult just even getting on the plane. I mean, I have to be physically lifted up out of my wheelchair, transferred to this little thin aisle chair, mm-hmm. and then rolled down the aisle of the plane and transferred again to my plane seat. And I've been nearly dropped numerous times by crew. Um, it's always a debacle every single time. You know, once I'm actually on the plane and doing the flight, I'm completely unable to use the restroom throughout the flight. And I've flown like 17 hours from Atlanta to Johannesburg, South Africa. And it was pretty brutal, but I've kind of like mastered the process and just kind of trained my body to not need to use the bathroom. But I mean, 
that is something that I should not be saying in the year 2020. <laughs> I hate to hear that you even have to suffer in order to do something that you love. So that seems like there's a market for a need that you have. And if you can figure that out and corner that market, it would not only service you, but you would be a gazillionaire and it would help other people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There actually is a company called uh, All Wheels Up and they are currently working to make flying more accessible and trying to make it where I could just roll on the airplane in my everyday power chair and be like locked in just like I would be in a taxi. And so hopefully, you know, the legislation will get passed and eventually one day, I mean, it'll it'll probably be a decade from now, but one day I'm really hopeful that, you know, there will be a better option. Absolutely. Hannah, are there any places that you've ever felt held back from visiting? So I actually have the same answer as Corey. I've always wanted to go to India. It's been my dream for such a long time, uh, especially because I do a lot of yoga. And um, I became a yoga teacher after my accident. So it's just always been a dream. But I've always been told that it's not the safest place for women. And there's just a lot of crime there against women. So I would definitely have to do a lot of research. And um, I think it's a place that I need to respect and do a lot of preparation for. It's not like a place I can just go to. So it's something that's like held me back. But all those reasons aren't going to stop me from eventually going there. As travelers, we each have our own rituals we do to prepare for a trip. But for people with physical disabilities, that preparation can require a lot more consideration and planning ahead. I talked to Corey and Hannah about the specific steps they take to prepare for travel. I'm glad you brought up doing a lot of prep for the trip. What are some of the things that you have to consider while prepping for a trip? I think you have to consider where you're staying, the neighborhood, the culture, the customs, like what what you should wear, what kind of outfits you should bring, because uh, there are certain parts of India that are just more conservative. So I just would want to like dress appropriately to respect the culture. And uh, yeah, just, you know, it'd be mostly my safety. That's, that's number one after what I went through. Absolutely. The first thing I thought when you said, you know, speaking about the crimes against women there is that that could potentially be a very triggering thought for you to want to go to a place where you know that there is also such beauty and such violence as well against women. So I understand that. Corey, what do you have to do to prepare for a trip? It's a pretty grueling process for I mean, I start planning international trips like anywhere between six to 12 months beforehand, just because it really gives me more time to research the destination, figure out, you know, the first thing that I actually do is just get on Google and Google, like, if I'm going, let's say, to Sydney, Australia, I'll Google, like, wheelchair taxi Sydney. And if I discover that they do have accessible transportation, then I'll take the next step and then start looking into hotels and flights and what to do there and all of that because transportation is really the most important thing for me because, I mean, if I get there and there isn't a taxi, then I'm just stuck in the airport for the entire trip and unable to leave. So that's kind of where I start. And then I'll start calling the hotel to inquire about accessibility. And it's 
that's always a really interesting process because I've discovered that the word accessible, it means something different to every person, uh, depending on who they know that, you know, has a disability or what disability they have themselves even. So even within the disability community, there's so many versions of accessibility. And so I've called hotels before, like back in my early traveling days, and uh, I would just ask them simply, you know, is your hotel wheelchair accessible? And they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would book the room, but then I showed up to the hotel and discovered that really the only thing they had was an elevator. I mean, I couldn't even get into the room. The doorway was too narrow. There was no rolling shower or anything like that. And so over the years, you know, I've just learned to really better question exactly what I'm going to need. I say this consistently while interviewing on this podcast is like everything that I think is a thing in quotation marks is so much more elevated when I'm learning you guys' stories. You know, I'm not thinking about if the door is wide enough for me to walk through. You know, yeah. I'm wondering, did they change the sheets? So minor in comparison to two people literally going to the same place and potentially having vastly and contrasting different experiences. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's always a learning experience, even for me, just talking to other wheelchair users. I mean, I'm sure that Hannah and I have completely different experiences, Mm -hmm. even because we have different disabilities. What is the most accessible place that either of you have visited? I'll give a few. So in the U.S., I think that Washington, D.C. is phenomenal and probably the most accessible place in the world, in my opinion, because the metro is fully accessible. I'm able to just roll on it and all of the attractions are accessible. And I think a lot of that is because Washington, D.C. is the city. I mean, it's the nation's capital and it's the city where the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990, which is actually the year I was born. So I'm very fortunate to have never really known a life outside of regulations relating to accessibility. Um, And I think I'm really privileged in that regard. And then internationally, I would say, I mean, London is really good because every black cab in London has a fold-out ramp that they can use. And so I can just, you know, be on the street, need a taxi and just flag one down and use any black cab in London, which is phenomenal. And then Sydney, Australia is also even maybe more accessible than the U.S. I think uh, it's really phenomenal there. Wow. That's really good to know. Hannah, what about you? For me, I guess I try to travel to places that like have as little accessibility as possible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like me I'm like oh the more off grid it is uh sign me up <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I like the challenge what could I say I think like I'm on this path of recovery I'm even though I'm four years in like I'm still going at it and my goal is to gain just as much function as possible so um I enjoy like places that are difficult hence the 600 stairs Exactly. Like when I was in Greece and Santorini last summer, I came to their street from Atlanta where I was hanging out with like a couple of uh, wheelchair users. 
And it was just a very like humbling experience because when I was using taking those stairs, it just I felt grateful when I was in that experience. Being more inclusive and intersectional has become a trend in the travel industry, which has made traveling a better experience in general for marginalized jet setters. Corey and Hannah explained to me the progress they've seen in travel accessibility over the years. How have each of you seen an improvement in accessibility over the years? I have seen massive improvements. I mean, I think even in the past few years, things are constantly getting better. So more and more tour companies are opening up, you know, launching accessible tours and various destinations. Uh, India is one of those, as we talked about earlier. Also, Morocco is kind of another place I never thought I would be able to go. And I finally went there a couple of years and led a group tour with other wheelchair users. And it was just the most incredible trip I've ever taken. I like rode a camel out in the Sahara Desert and had all of these. Really? Yeah. The company there, they built an adaptive camel seat. So like a camel saddle. And so it's basically like a chair on top of the camel kind of with like a full backrest and a cushioned like seat to be pretty comfortable. And it worked beautifully and was just the most incredible experience. And then there are also like more and more companies with accessible accommodations now. So Airbnb, they offer um, like accessibility filters now for various properties. You can see if it has like a roll-in shower or any kind of accessibility details. And then there's another company, Discover, based in Sweden. And they're more for like the Europe side of things. And they have a ton of properties on there and you can scout for accessibility. So Thankfully, over the past few years, I mean, more and more companies are starting to open up. Hannah, how do you see accessibility improving over the next few years? So from just learning, um, you know, stories from different people that I speak to, uh, when I was in Atlanta, I met a guy named Brandon, and he has already developed an app called iAccess. And it's basically like Yelp, but you look it up and it picks up your current location and you get to find hotels and restaurants and other establishments that are accessible for people. I live in New York City, so um, if you, you know, if it's difficult to take the train or the bus, we have Accessoride. I know there's a lot of problems with it. I call it a stress-a-ride <laughs> because a lot of the time they're late and they don't show up, but they are getting better. They're starting to work with other third parties to send like yellow taxis and you know, black cars and things like that. So they are improving, but there's still you know a lot of work that needs to be done. I mean, I always really love adventurous activities. And I mean, whether it's like hot air ballooning, I've gone hot air ballooning over Israel, over Spain, over Las Vegas, three times now, I believe. And I've gone water skiing. I did break my arm doing that also. So what? Oh my God. It's like always an experience with me for some reason. Uh, I really just love showing my readers and followers like what all is really possible. And I feel like the more adventurous that I get and, you know, they maybe never thought that hot air ballooning would be possible for a wheelchair user. But then when I'm showing, you know, that it is or that, you know, you can go to the beach as a wheelchair user or just things like that even. I mean, it's so rewarding and it's really why I keep traveling is just to have those new adventurous experiences. That's so incredible. I never even thought about hot air ballooning. 
in that capacity. You're right. I've been in a hot air balloon maybe two or three times. And I feel like I have to channel my inner child and hop a fence to get in the basket, you know? So that's really incredible to hear. You can actually have that experience still. Corey, I'm going to tell you right now, you are consistently pushing the limits. I mean, you've got stories for days, crazy injuries, like, and you're like, what's next? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Hannah, what do you like to do when you're traveling? What are your top two or three things? I love to go hiking. I love to do yoga. And I like to go shopping. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love to hike too. Shopping, yes, as well. (laughs) Especially like Morocco. It was so cool because they call it like the souk and you're in the Medina and everyone's selling stuff outside. So you go into like all the outdoor markets and I love haggling too. For me, it's like I gained this sense of accomplishment when I could get the price down to like a 10th of what it was originally. So (laughs) I always think that's like all part of the fun experience, just like being able to take some treasures home with you. I'm going to call you haggling Hannah. I like that. (laughs) It's just your next, it's a brand for you. Your next brand. Thank you. Go grab the Instagram handle. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, to the both of you, you have such different experiences and different abilities, but at the center, at the foundation of this conversation, you guys are so inspirational. And so I just want to thank you. I think this is probably one of the most powerful interviews that I've done just hearing your stories. And I just want to thank you for sharing them with me, for sharing them with our audience. And I know that there will be a lot of people who will become new fans of you both because you truly are incredible people. And thank you for what you are doing for the world, for women, for men, for people in both of your communities and the travel community. So thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. I mean, it's truly an honor to be on here. I remember like when you got the travel and leisure cover, I mean, that was like such a moment. Even for me, I thought, you know, if Kelly can do all of these amazing things, then, you know, kind of why can't I? And um, it really is such a motivational thing for me just to watch you. So I just wanted to say that and Hannah, your story, it had me in tears. So it's really great to talk with both of you. Oh, thank you so much, Corey. It's been really great to share this um, episode with you. And Kelly, you're such an amazing woman. Thank you so much for giving me and Corey this platform to speak. Thank you both. And I'm like crying right now. Thank you, Corey. That was so sweet. And thank you, Hannah, as well. You guys are so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Woo, baby. Thanks so much to Corey and Hannah for sharing their adventures with us. You can find Corey online at CurbFreeWithCoreyLee.com and on social at CurbFreeCoreyLee. To find out more about Hannah, you can find her on Instagram at Hannah Gavios. That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Jamila Zaral-Williams, Lena Beck-Sillison, and thank you to our digital executive editor, Deanne Kazurski at Travel and Leisure. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And you can find me, your host, Kelly, at Kelly Set Go. And that's Kelly with three E's.